0: So we're in a series on prayer, and I have two scriptures for you to open up to. The first is John 17, which will be on the screen, so you don't actually have to go there, but definitely go to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, John 17 on your smartphones, on your tablets, uh, on your Androids, iPhones, or in your old-fashioned paper Bibles. And we're talking today about praying through unanswered prayer. I've been waiting for this message since the series began. Because I think that there is (laughs) not a single person here who has not struggled with the waiting for his prayers or her prayers to be answered. How many know that there is a big difference between God's yes and God's not yet? (laughs) And you might be there right now, and there's no doubt that there's something you've been praying for, and it seems like the heavens are silent, and God has just said nothing, or, He's clearly told you um, not yet, or he's clearly told you no, or he might have clearly told you you might be crazy. But I want to challenge you. I wanna challenge you today, more than ever before. Keep circling. Last week we talked about this, and if you weren't here last week, waterschurch.tv has all of our messages and our podcast updated. Keep circling your prayers your needs, your wants, your desires, your dreams. Don't stop circling. Write it down. I I hope that you've written something down. I have written three circles down for my life, and I'm praying about those things every day. I'm praying for a plot of land in this town for our church to uh, own. And if you've seen on your bulletin there, our building campaign is surging along. We are at a quarter of a million dollars in Yeah, in three months, in three months. So that means by the end of a year we should have a million, okay? So keep it coming, keep it coming. But I'm circling that land in prayer and I know that God is hearing those prayers and I know what it's like to struggle with unanswered prayer You know what it's like to struggle with unanswered prayer, and many people in the Bible know what it's like to struggle with unanswered prayer, but here's the most shocking person of them all that had to handle unanswered prayer. Jesus. Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's crazy. Because he's God. (laughs) And I think, of course, his prayers of anybody's prayers, would be answered, and answered immediately. But you know, when I was studying for this series, I realized that that's not true. That Jesus knows what it's like to struggle with unanswered prayers. He knows the difference between God's yes and God's not yet. And I want to show you two prayers, two prayers from Christ that he, he didn't seem to And in one he does not have an answer to okay the first one is not not answered yet not answered yet at all john chapter 17 if you have your bibles i want you to look at this verse 20. now this is jesus's last prayer right before he goes to the cross okay this is his last prayer he's spent three years with disciples and he's going to the cross and he spends a night and you know this night, this recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say, he goes and he prays, and the disciples are sleeping, and he goes and prays, and the disciples are still sleeping, and he wakes them up, and he goes and prays, and he goes and wakes them up again, and then he gets arrested, and he goes to the cross. And this is his last prayer for his disciples. And they need a lot of prayer because they can't stay awake. And, and, and he's praying not just for his disciples now, he's also, and we're gonna see in these words, he's also praying for the people who would believe because of the original 12's message. And that includes You and me. And so he, even before the cross, was thinking of us. And so here's what he says in verse 20. I do not ask for these only. These only, there is the 12. I'm not just praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Verse 21, here's the prayer. That they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now I want you to just help me break this down here. This is Jesus's prayer. His prayer is for disciples, and his prayer is for you and me and the worldwide movement of Jesus. That everybody who professes faith in Jesus, here's what he asked, that we all be one. And not just one, but so united and so together and so for each other that our attitude and our relationship to each other reflects that of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that our relationship, one with another, worldwide now, would have the same unity, camaraderie, um, others-centeredness that exists in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at the record of Scripture, the three persons of the Godhead are always lifting up and, and, and promoting and glorifying the other two. Jesus glorifies the God, God the Father by the works that he does. Jesus glorifies the Holy Spirit by saying, after me comes the Holy Spirit, and it's better that he come than I stay. And God the Father glorifies his son at the end. He's going to get all the glory in the end. And God the Holy Spirit glorified Jesus by empowering him to do good works. So in the Godhead, there is this constant deference to one another amongst all three members. And Jesus prayed and asked God that that same deference, that same preference for one another, that same sense of I exist to make you look better would exist not just in the 12, not just in the 120 when he was uh, raised from the dead, not just in the early church, but in the church worldwide throughout the millennia of history that it has existed up to this point. Now I have a question for you. Has that worked out for Jesus yet? (laughs) Not even close. Estimates are there's 30,000 denominations right now. 30,000 little subdivisions of Christianity. And I don't have to tell you that those denominations have not always been friendly. Friendly. They haven't just not supported one another. They've tried to kill each other. The Catholics were killing the Protestants. The Protestants were killing the Catholics. The, the Baptists uh, have hated on the Pentecostals, and the Pentecostals have, you know, lambasted the Baptists. And the Charismatics, well, they've just been so into worship, they haven't said anything. But, but, <laughs> but there has been, over the history of 2,000 years of Christianity, killing each other, backstabbing each other, hating on each other, looking down upon each other. And I have to believe that Jesus is up in heaven and he's still praying. God, I want them to get along. I want them to have the same preference and deference for each other that we have. And so guess what? You know, if we could take anything from this, here's what I believe. This helps me big time with my unanswered prayers because if I serve a Savior who knows what it's like to pray and wait a long time for an answer, that helps me. He knows how I feel. He knows how you feel. <laughs> and he, and because he relates to us in that manner, then he can also pray for us and help us get through from God's yes or God's not yet to God's yes. Amen, somebody? All right, Luke chapter six. This is the second prayer that I found from Jesus that seemed not to be answered. So turn with me to Luke chapter six and while you're turning there, we wanna say a welcome, to our Taunton location. They watch all these videos uh, on their Sunday morning worship services. And so everybody here in North Attleboro, why don't we give Taunton a hand and welcome them in. Good to see you, Taunton. Luke chapter six, okay. Very important prayer here from Jesus. Uh, If I can find it, I'll, oh, there it is, okay. Verse 12, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, somebody say all night. He continued. All night, he continued. In what? In prayer to God. And his prayer here in this passage was for who among the thousands that was following him, who would be the 12? Uh, Who would be the 12 guys that would, be with him, eat with him, you know, recline at the table with him at the Last Supper. Uh, who would be the pillars of the New Testament church? I mean, how many wanna say with me, or could agree, this is a very important decision? Like, who are you gonna start the movement with? This is important. There's thousands following him. Some are in it just for the free food. Some are in it just for the miracles and the, and the sights. But who are gonna be the guys that he's gonna leave the whole thing in their hands. Big time decision, so Jesus makes an obvious choice. He prays the whole night through, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep at all. And verse 13, he wakes up and he makes his select- selections. Now here's what it says. Verse 13, and when, he, when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas. We know a little bit about Thomas, don't we? And James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot. We know a whole lot about him, who became a traitor. This is the lineup. All night praying, and this is who he gets. One, denies that he knows him at his darkest hour, Peter. Uh, one of them refuses to believe that he's raised from the dead, Thomas. Even after ele- uh, 10 other guys said, trust us, Thomas, he's alive. He said, "No, nope, not believing you until I touch him. Another one was actually the key cog in putting him on the cross. And in his darkest hour, all 12 deserted him. You have to think that Jesus might have thought at some points, now God, did I hear you right when I spent all night in prayer to you about who to have follow me the closest? Because this is a ragtag bunch of weak-willed, spineless Doubters, haters, not getting it kind of people seemed like everything he was teaching was just ping, ping, ping off of their heads. They weren't catching it. And, and, and let me just read you some of the statements that Jesus made to these guys through three years of ministry, some of the statements. Matthew 16, nine. Do you still not understand? <laughs> Matthew 14, 31. Oh, you of little faith, why are you doubting? Mark 9, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Anybody wanna think? That just sounds like a parent, right? Oh my, how long am I gonna have to be here? Once he had to say to Peter in Matthew 16, he actually had to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You know you got problems with your disciples when one of them is turned into Satan. Mark 4, 13, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how can you understand any of the parables that I've told you? Frustration. Must have have thought to himself, God, did we not spend all night, Father, talking about who these guys would be? Because I got a bunch of jokers behind me. I got a bunch of guys who, who can't even comprehend the basics They're still looking for me to overthrow Rome, and I've told them 1,600 times that I'm gonna be crucified, and they're still like, well, when you come into your kingdom, can we be the greatest? Can we be on the right? Can we be on the left? I mean, God, what is going on here? He had to feel the the total frustration of unanswered prayer, and I think that There had to be many times where Jesus just thought that his prayer hit the ceiling and bounced back down to him because listen, uh, yes, Jesus was completely God, but he was also completely man. The Bible says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. That means that Jesus was tempted to give up on his prayers, just like you are. That means that Jesus, at his, at, at his lowest moments, probably just felt like ditching that 12 and finding a new 12. That, that means that Jesus was maybe at times in complete you know, uh, disagreement at moments with what God had produced out of his prayer because here's 12 guys that don't look like they got it together, but, but, in, but in sticking it out with these 12 guys, in not giving up, in praying through and continuing to circle those guys in prayer, Jesus modeled something very important for us, you need to write this down. It's our job to ask, it's God's job to answer. And it's so simple. Like, some of you are like, I don't need to write that down, I know that. But we don't, because as soon as we ask, it's like we've already got a bullet listed for how we want God to respond, and when we want God to respond, and in what manner we want God to respond. And when we recognize those four points being checked off of our list, then we will give God the praise for the answer to our prayers. But God has this funny habit of not checking our lists. He doesn't see if it's okay with you if he does something differently than you expect. He doesn't ask you your opinion. Anybody ever notice that? Anybody get bugged by that? Like, God, you didn't consult with me (laughs) about this, and and I don't know about, but if you look at my record, it's pretty good. Well, it's been pretty good for about two months, but it's pretty good, you know? and, and, and now, this, and I didn't expect, and I didn't want this, and not you, and this, and, and don't you know that I prayed? And now it seems like the more I pray to you, the harder it gets. What's going on? And that's how Jesus felt, and that's how you're gonna feel, and that's what we're gonna experience. But we gotta remember, it's just our job to ask, and it's God's job to answer. And He models this so well for us, because here's what He does He sticks it out with these guys. He sticks it out with fumbling, bumbling, babbling Peter. The guy he had to say was Satan in Matthew 16 becomes the pillar of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost and stands up in the face of all the people that put him to death and speaks a powerful word that Jesus is God, you killed him, but you got a chance to repent right now. And on that day, fumbling, bumbling, babbling, Peter sees, his Holy, sees the Holy Spirit use those same lips to bring 3,000 people to faith in Jesus Christ in one service. No buildings, no band, no worship team, <laughs> no comfy pews. Just out in the middle of the temple, and three thousand converts are saved. That got those those kids James and John who are always jockeying for right and left in the in the kingdom. They're always who's on my right, who's on your left. Jesus, we we want those positions. Well, James became the first first one of the twelve to die for the faith, and John wrote. The, the, the most beautiful of the Gospels, I think, and four other New Testament books, including Revelation. He was boiled, the uh, scriptural, I mean, uh, church tradition tells us he was boiled in oil and survived and then exiled to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation of the end times, which is the book of Revelation. So those guys seem to turn it around, or God used those guys. Um, Thomas, who doubted Jesus, who said, I'm not gonna believe until I see it, until I touch him, and I wanna put my hands in the holes on his hands and, and his feet? That Thomas, the doubter, the guy who we still call Doubting Thomas, he brought the gospel to India in the first century, and the roots of that church that exists there have their roots all the way traced back to Thomas. So even Judas Iscariot, who was used to betray Jesus, actually became the very instrument that God would use to put Jesus on the cross, and on the cross is where our hope came alive because our sins were crucified with Jesus and buried with Jesus and we can be forgiven because Jesus was put on that cross and all 12 of these guys as much as it seemed like they weren't getting it and as much as it seemed like God's prayer was not answered to Jesus they all got turned around and used powerfully in the plan and purpose of God it's our job to ask it's God's job to answer pray through keep circling and see what happens Pray through, keep marching around your Jericho. Oh, you you thought that this was gonna be like a one-week thing. You thought you had it down last week. Oh, specific and bold, got it, specific and bold. And so all week long, you've been praying specific and bold, and little do you know, you might have to go a whole lot more than one week. The question is, will you keep circling? Will you keep praying? It brings me to my point, point Point number one. You can write this in your notes. God knows how to answer better than we know how to pray. And I love that. I love that because our prayers are not perfect, but his answers are. His answers are perfect. You see, Jesus had to see God weave the tapestry of his plan through these 12 guys, and you will too. Um, He didn't stop praying for them. We know this because at the Last Supper he's praying for them, right, in John 17. And he actually tells Peter, "Uh, Peter, I got news for you, Luke chapter 22. Satan has sought to sift you as wheat. Satan's asked God to test you in my darkest hour. And, And he says this to Peter, he says, but I've prayed for you that your your faith doesn't fail and that after you're restored, you strengthen your brothers. In other words, uh, Jesus could have said it like this. Peter, I prayed about choosing you, and I gotta be honest, there were times when I thought that prayer was not answered, but you're coming around. I see potential, but now you're about to enter into your darkest moment as my disciple. And I want you to know, I'm still praying for you. I'm still praying for you. Will you continue to circle when it seems like the very thing that you want God to do, he's actually doing the opposite? Like Jesus prayed for this guy to follow him through thick and thin, and now he's about to deny him three times, and he's still praying. Will you keep circling, will you keep praying, will you keep calling on God and believing that he will answer you. Jesus prayed long, Jesus prayed through, and he kept circling because God knows how to answer better than we know how to pray. Because let's let's be honest, how many of us have a couple of prayers that now we're glad God said no to? Anybody got a few of those? Like, you, you know, you prayed so hard in college, ladies, for that guy and you thought he was the one, the perfect man, and you show up at your 20-year reunion, and God never gave him to you, and you, you thought back then that God just was unfair to you, but now you show up at your 20-year reunion, and he's bald, and he's unemployed, and he drinks beer all day. Right? Or or guys, that girl that you thought was the bomb in high school, and God never let you date her. In fact, you asked her out, and God let her say no to you, and now, 20 years later, you're seeing her, and she's bald, unemployed, and drinks beer all day. (laughs) How many of you are glad about the prayers that God did not give you? He knows how to answer better than you know how to pray. Like that job that you thought you just had to have and now the company's gone. Or that, that friend that God took out of your life and you prayed and begged God that she would come back into your life or he would come back into your life and it just seemed to be, in hindsight, perfect wisdom of God that they never came back and it was never restored. God knows how to answer better than we know how to pray. Second point I wanna make today is when we pray, God goes to work immediately. The secret to praying long and praying hard and praying through, the secret to keeping, keep, uh, keep you circling your, your requests to God is to know that at the moment, somebody say, the moment. At the moment you start praying, God starts working. There's a guy named Daniel in the Old Testament and he's in exile, and he's a mighty man of God, and he's been through the lion's den. And we know Daniel in the lion's den, and then he was. Tra- then um, his associates tried to trap him uh, through his prayers, and and they tried to get him killed and all that stuff, and and, and uh, the fiery furnace, all that stuff. I mean, that's Daniel's testimony. Actually, three of his friends in the fiery furnace, but Daniel's been through it, and he's in exile, and he he is praying because the Bible says in the Old Testament, the scriptures that Daniel read from. Chronicles were that if when they were in exile, they would pray, God would hear from heaven and heal their land and restore them back to the Israel homeland. So he's praying for that. He's praying like crazy. God, send us back home. God, get us out of Babylon. God, get us away from these heathens. We, we wanna go back to our nation and our land, the promised land. And he's praying three times a day. And in a vision, God reveals to him that it's not gonna happen for 70 years. In fact, it's not gonna happen in his lifetime. Now you have to ask yourself, if that was you, and your prayers would not be answered in your lifetime, but you knew that they would be answered after your lifetime, would you keep circling? I said it in week number one, and it bears repeating. We die, but our prayers never do. We die, but our prayers never do. Are you planting seeds in your children? Are you planting seeds in their children? Are you turning around the generational curse that's been handed down to you? And are you becoming the one who's gonna turn that thing around and hand your descendants a righteous lineage because you refuse to give up praying, even if you don't see the answer in your lifetime? What did Daniel do? Daniel did Daniel did this. He just kept praying three times a day, even though he knew, and God told him that the prayer would not be answered in his lifetime. That's faith. Because you know, some of us need a wake up call. The earth does not revolve around us. We're just a piece of the puzzle that God's putting together in human history. We're just one of many that God has chosen to use, and we're here just for a short season, but we're here for such a time as this, and I am challenging you to pray generational prayers that will live long after you're dead, and your grandsons, and your granddaughters, and your great grandbabies will be saying, I thank God that I had a heritage of righteousness behind me, and that's who's made me what I am today. You see, You see, I I am not a self-made man. I, I, I was just blessed enough to be born into a family that loved God long before I did. And that's my story, and I don't deserve it, and I am what I am by the grace of God, but that might not be your story. But here's a question. Are you putting God to work? Because when you pray, God goes to work immediately. Here's what the angel told Daniel. I love this phrase, I love this scripture. It says this, Um, I'll read it before and and then we'll pick it up in verse 23. But before it says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen earlier in the vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice and he explained to me, Daniel, I have come to give you insight and understanding. And here's what he says. The moment you began praying, the moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. What's the angel saying? Yeah, I know, it's gonna be 70 years. You're gonna be dead and gone. But because you started praying now, business is starting up in heaven. Are you putting God to work? You say, well, you know, man, I might might not see it in my lifetime. Are you kidding me? Oh, I came to this series because I thought the answers to my prayer were gonna happen, and I would see them. And No, maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. And the only question you gotta ask yourself, Are you gonna put God to work? Here's what Mark Batterson writes in that beautiful book. I love this line. He says, we live in a culture that overvalues 15 minutes of fame and undervalues lifelong faithfulness. Isn't that true? Like, can you just pray it through even if you don't see it? I'm praying for a building in this church, and if I don't see it, and if I don't benefit from it, I'm still praying. I'm praying for thousands, tens of thousands in New England saved, through this church, and I'm jealous for this church, and I'm praying through, even if I don't get to see it all. I hope I get to see a big slice of it, trust me. But even if I don't see it all, I'm still praying. I'm still circling. Amen, somebody? Amen. And point number three I have for you this tonight is this. While you pray all you can, do all you can. Somebody once said it like this. Pray as if everything depends on God, and work as if everything depends on you. Pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. See, prayer is not an excuse to be lazy. Prayer is not an excuse to be lazy. You understand? We can't can't pray cop-out prayers. That, and this is a big, big deal with Moses, all right? And, and Abraham, that these guys had back and forth conversations with God. And you see Moses affecting the will of God, and then you see God affecting the will of Moses, and, and it's a big insight to prayer that this, this thing of prayer is, you know, it's a give and take deal with God. And that he's not just working through your prayers, but he's working on you in your prayers so that you work hard in making what you're praying for come to pass as well. So you can't just sit back and say, well, I'm praying about it and then do nothing. You can't pray for a job and then not fill out applications and hit the pavement. You can't pray for a husband and then not doll yourself up and put makeup on. Come on, somebody. You can't ask, God's a blind man. You gotta show him something at the same time you're praying for something. Hallelujah. You got to work at the same time you're praying for God to do what only he can do. Back, back, back to Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus modeled this for us too. He didn't just pray for those 12 guys, he worked with them. Oh, did he work with them. I read you those lines he said to them. But three years of patient training and discipling. And um, not only that, but then he finishes it off with the cross, like as if he couldn't have worked any harder, he goes to the cross for them. And then it gets incredibly hard and he rises from the dead <laughs> for them, okay? He kept praying and he kept working. Now here's the good news. When he ascended to the Father, he didn't stop working. You know that prayer in John 17 that we opened up this, this, path, this message with about us being one? He's still praying for that, and he's still working for that. I wanna read you two scriptures that tell us that that Jesus is still working on his prayer being answered. Uh, Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, he's still working to see us come together. Uh, Hebrews 7.25, another scripture, he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And that word intercede is a big theological word, but here's what it really means uh, to give you a better picture of it. Interceding is very similar to another English word called intersecting. And if you want to see interceding in the scriptural definition, here's what it is. Interceding is not just praying for a long time. Interceding is seeing the will of God and the will of man intersect in such a way that it comes together. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's working on your will, and he's working on the Father's will, and he's trying to manage and make those two wills come together so that the purposes of God and the kingdom of heaven comes, and the will of God comes to earth as it is in heaven, and you are part of that process in your prayers, and Jesus is still working on you. Uh, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you are happy tonight that Jesus is still committed to working on you. So, what about your prayers? You want a godly family, you better start getting godly. You want a godly husband, ladies, and he's not godly right now, don't nag him. That's not what the scriptures tell you to do. Read it from 1 Peter. In quietness and in submission, let your good deeds be seen to him. And that will do it. You understand? It's not just cop out in prayer, it's pray it through and work it. And work it and work it and work it. Back when we were in a little church building in 152, and I. And I kept praying for God to give us um, a building. There was a building on Route 1 that I had, here's what I did. After uh, I got out of the office, every day I would go over to that building and I would walk around it. My Jericho circle, I was drawing circles back then. And um, and then, you know, after walking around it for about four months, it was sold to somebody else. And I thought, oh man. Ah, so much for that. And then, like literally two months afterwards, this thing opened up. And this building seats about twice as many people as that building could have seated. And, And this building, I think, is much more strategic for where we're going as a church right now. And God just kinda answered my prayers. He didn't give me the building that I wanted, but he gave us this place. And we have exponentially grown in this place. And God is still on the move. And that's why I'm excited that the place that I'm circling now is so big Amen, that God is gonna outdo that one and I'm looking forward to where we're going, not where we came from. You do all you can, let God do all he can. He knows how to answer better than you, know how to pray. And when you pray, God goes to work immediately. My challenge to you is this, keep circling, pray long, pray through. I want you to stand.